0: Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically. Enjoy responsibly.
1: You what know happened to music that meant something? The Who at the Kingdom or Kiss at the Coliseum. Where is the Misty Mountain Hop? Where is the is the Smoke on the Water? Where is the Iron Man of today?
2: Yeah.
3: A this is rock and roll!
4: Wild Flag gave us one of the strongest debuts this year, but its four members are no strangers to the music industry. I'm Jim DiRigatis from WBEZ and Columbia College, and I'm Greg Cotte of the Chicago Tribune. Indie rock supergroup Wild Flag
5: storms the studio. Plus, we talk about an unlikely collaboration between Lou Reed
4: and Metallica. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. From WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX, you're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news.
5: That is Chuck D. of Public Enemy, a man with no shortage of opinions, and his latest battle is against the record companies of America, specifically a class-action breach-of-contract lawsuit that he filed in district court in Northern California against the Universal Music Group. Now, this has been an ongoing issue here. The amount of royalties that artists are being paid for digital downloads and ringtones. Chuck D. is arguing that artists are owed hundreds of millions of dollars in royalties. In other words, they're being shortchanged because they're being held to the standards of the old physical product that record companies used to put out instead of the new digital downloads and ringtones that they are now using. What Chuck D. is saying is that these old contracts are still charging artists for things like containers and packaging when those things don't exist anymore in the digital world. And the differences are significant in the amount of royalties that artists are getting. For example, for a thousand downloads, under the old system, the artist would get about 80 bucks. Under what Chuck D is proposing, a 50-50 split, artists would get up over $300 per thousand downloads. The discrepancy is even wider for ringtones. Now, this has been an ongoing thing, Jim. Um, We've seen this in the past with Cheap Trick and the Allman Brothers. They filed a lawsuit against Sony in 2006. They ended up settling out of court. What seemed to have happened there was that Sony was eventually forced to, to pay some money. We saw m M&M and file suit against Universal in 2007. That case was finally decided in 2011 in m and favor. So it would appear that Chuck D has some ground to stand on here. And even though the Universal Music Group is saying this complaint suffers from serious flaws and weaknesses and we're vigorously going to defend against it, they're going to have their lawyers lined up. Chuck D is not one to go down quietly. Time
1: to make my move, so gently I kiss her, twist her in her air, and tell her that I miss her She might try to pop that boyfriend's jump, but I don't really care because I know he's a punk I'll stop him like a roach if he tries to approach, he can't get close because I'm the one who the book of romance. So come on, take a chance. You don't need a long look, all you need is a glance. If you wanna get warm, in my arms you belong. You have a problem, have a problem, nothing can go wrong. When the overweight doubles in the house, the, house, the overweight doubles in the house, the house, the overweight doubles in the house, the overweight doubles
4: in the house. Greg, that is The Overweight Lovers in the House by Heavy D, the song from his debut album with The Boys that gave him the nickname that endured throughout his career. He died earlier this week at the age of 44. Five albums from the mid to late 80s into the mid-90s, three of those platinum, Big Time, Peaceful Journey, Nothing But Love. What characterized his work, I think, was his enormous charm. He was not a hardcore rapper, he was someone who brought charm, personality, the ability to laugh at himself to what he was doing. Working with producer Teddy Riley, he brought a heavy dose of R and B melody into hip hop at a time when not very many people were doing that. Went on to have a career after hip hop, became eventually the president of Uptown Records, but also kept doing music, wrote the theme song for In Living Color. Did hits with both Janet and Michael Jackson and became an actor. Tracy Morgan Show, Boston Public, Cider House Rules, Tower Heist. Born in Jamaica, he was Dwight. Arrington Myers, raised mostly in Mount Vernon, New York, and the song I think we ought to play to pay tribute to him has a connection to Jamaica, just as he did. Gamble and Huff wrote a wonderful song called Now That We Found Love. It was recorded by the OJs, but Heavy D turned to the version done by Third World, the reggae band, and that really powered his version of Now That We Found Love, which in the end I think he claims. Here it is on Sound Opinions. That was Now That We've Found Love from 1991 by Dwight Arrington Myers, better known as Heavy D or the Overweight Lover, dead at the age of 44.
5: are listening to Sound Opinions, and that's a little bit of the song Boom by Wild Flag. We're joining us next in the studio. Now, the band debuted this year to a lot of acclaim, but they're really veterans of the music world for the last 20 years. We're talking about Portland-based musicians Carrie Brownstein, Janet Weiss, Rebecca Cole, plus Washington, D.C. artist Mary Timoney. Now, Brownstein and Weiss, you probably know those names as two-thirds of the great indie rock band Sleater-Kinney. Cole was a mainstay in a band called The Minders, and then Timmy, of course, fronted the band Helium, as well as numerous solo projects. You also probably know Carrie Brownstein from that very successful IFC comedy show, Portlandia, with Fred Armisen.
4: Greg, the Wild Flag story starts when Brownstein was asked to provide music for a film called Women Art Revolution. She turned to Weiss and Cole, and then the director decided they wanted some songs uh, with vocals. That's where Mary Timmy comes into the story. Wild Flag is born, and it started out with quite a bang at South by Southwest earlier this year. Let's go to our conversation now with the four members of Wild Flag. We began by asking Mary Timoney to explain how she came to meet Carrie Brownstein. We
6: actually met, I think, on a tour that Helium did with Slater-Kinney in Europe.
5: So this is back, like, in the 90s. Yeah, uh,
6: 1997, I would say, yeah.
5: So you're in DC. The the other 3 are in the Pacific Northwest up in uh, I guess it's Portland when you when you were recording this. So you decide basically to fly across the country <laughs> to sort of hang out with these guys and court some music. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Um well,
7: first we got together Mary and I got together on the East Coast actually. Okay. In New York. So she didn't have to commit too much. Okay.
5: You got a <laughs> part, Not of, that the, I minded part of the mind part of the <laughs> Part of the persuasion was you flew to her and said, hey, we're working on this thing. Would you want to jump in?
6: <laughs> they didn't have to persuade me very hard. I was excited, really excited about it.
5: Well, it has been great. The uh, self-titled debut album, Wild Flag, is out. We have Rebecca Cole, Mary Timoney, Carrie Brownstein, Janet Weiss here with instruments in their hands. So rather than keep chatting, why don't you guys play us a song? Tell us what you're going to play.
8: We're going to play a song called Black Tiles. It's the, it's the closer, track 10 mm-hmm. on our album. Uh, yeah. Cool. There it goes.
5: Black Tiles from Wild Flag. Wow. Um, the only thing I missed about that song is uh, usually right around that part where you guys sort of take off, uh, Mary and Carrie, you're kind of s- flopping on the floor and slamming <laughs> around, and it really gets intense. Well, it's like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, but, and they got know, a show tonight, yeah. you know. Yeah, we're we're going to get that later on maybe, but that was, that, that's awesome. And I think that song typifies I think what was the energy in this band when I first saw you and Jim and I saw a bunch of your shows at South by Southwest I believe it was and the energy and and the enthusiasm and the joy that was radiating from that stage was that there from the start when you started first playing together was like wow this is like a real this is a serious rock band we got going on here let's let's get into it or was that something that just sort of evolved as, as you started developing this music together
7: I think it evolved I, I don't re- remember feeling that way with our first shows yeah actually like I just felt like, well, there's potential here and the four of us know how to play, but I don't know if we know how to play together as a band. And that that was back in the fall of last year. They were good shows, but then when we toured in the spring, I felt like things had coalesced in a way that was a lot more exciting. But mm-hmm. it took a while. You know, I think people assumed that because we had individually and sometimes together a lot of experience in our belts that we would automatically be able to be greater than the sum of our parts. But I just don't think that you can manufacture chemistry in any way or even take for granted that it exists. So Mm -hmm. it just came along and slowly and organically kind of crept up until it was something that we could really use.
5: I want to follow up on that, Carrie, because I I just want to quote you something you wrote on your blog last year. Probably around the time the band was actually taking shape, in the fall, I guess. After Sleater-Kinney broke up in 2006, I had very little desire to play music. It took well over three years before picking up a guitar meant anything to me other than an exercise. And it seemed like you went from almost wanting to quit music to renewing your uh, passion for it with this band.
7: Yeah, and I actually thank NPR for that. <laughs> <laughs> and and writing for Monitor Mix, which is a blog that I had for the NPR Music mm-hmm. website for many years. And um, I was just engaged in in a very ongoing and interesting dialogue with music fans. And I just posited myself as a music fan, which is what I am first and foremost. And we had just very interesting conversations about participation and what it meant to be a fan, what it meant to be passive versus engaged. And I think I just got to the point where I realized that although I loved the contribution I was making in the written form, that I was ready to contribute again in terms of performance and playing. But I kind of had to take that journey, and I am very grateful for the, the readers of, of Monitor Mix because I, I felt like we kind of took that journey together. There was a lot of just constant um, conversation about music until I was just like, okay, I guess I want to play again. Mm-hmm. But it took a while.
5: Coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, more music and talk with Wild Flag. Later on in the show, Jim and I are going to tackle another supergroup of sorts. We review the new project from Metallica and Lou Reed.
4: Sound opinions. You're hearing Glass Tambourine, the first single from the self titled debut by our guests this week, Wild Flag. We were really enthusiastic when we reviewed the record when it was released in September, but Greg, you gotta agree, it was especially exciting to have this band here in our studio. On stage, Wild Flag is all about the infectious, raw energy, and they blew us away at South by Southwest, and I think even more so when they were here. The band combines punk rock and psychedelia and somehow seamlessly merges these two wild guitar styles of its front women, Carrie Brownstein and Mary Timoney. I asked Mary how they were able to bring together such unique guitar playing.
6: I think one of the things I love about playing guitar with Carrie is that I feel like we have really similar styles of playing guitar. Um, So I feel like I think we tried to make our guitar parts going to fit together.
7: I mean, I think it took a a little work mostly because we were both so used to having to be the only main kind of lead guitarist in in each of our bands. And so there's a lot of acrobatics that go along with that. And I think there's, I think we immediately felt the certain freedom of just being able to hand something off. I think that's when kind of our songwriting changed sort of halfway through writing the first album. You know, some of the, the songs that came later employ those dynamics a little more freely.
5: Well the thing you guys have going on though is what I love about the band is you know the melodies and then the those chorus backing harmonies. Sometimes the more difficult part of the of the vocal, you know, part is the harmony vocal as opposed to the lead vocal.
0: In a way maybe I think it would be really hard for me to sing lead vocals. Yeah. So I can't even imagine. I usually mm. always sing along with harmonies.
8: You should hear us in the car. Unless unless we I'm just carried. fight for every <laughs> single <fight> harmony. <laughs> We're singing the same part you take the low for once Yeah, we're right. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask if you guys <laughs> could harmonize in the band oh it's ridiculous oh, we're yeah. always like we always are singing the harmony not the main part <laughs> I just think we're like born to sing harmonies it's just in your DNA
4: you're listening to Sound Opinions and we are in the studio with Wild Flag are you guys going to play another song for us
7: mm-hmm. I think we're going to play Romance <sighs>
4: By Wild Flag on Sound Opinions. Man, Greg, sometimes mm. it's good to be us, huh? It's good. It's good to be wow. us right now. <laughs> what a treat to have you guys in the studio. And what a song. Not the first critic to point this out, but one of several songs on the album that seemed to be about the joy of making music.
6: It wasn't intentional, actually. We, I, The first time that I really consciously realized that was when we were recording the vocals. And I was just had a moment where I was like, well, let's really... Cool that almost uh, every song on this record are about music and about enjoying music and coming back to music and maybe even having lost it for a while and coming back to it. Mm. I actually
7: only have one song on the album that's about music, and that's romance. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. Romance is specifically about a reaffirmation.
5: Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I guess you could read a lot of things into it, but it, it, it feels very up. And when you see the four of you play, you definitely feel affirmed about rock. And that, that's what was exciting, I think, for, for us, because I think, I hate to say indie rock, but, you know, you're coming out of that realm, and you've been in part of it for 20 years. And lately we've been seeing, you know, these major festivals that sort of celebrate this area of music seem to be a lot of very soft, quiet bands right now. A lot of beards. Did you feel like in some ways the way this band sounds is a reaction to all of that?
7: I love so many of those bands. Mm-hmm. Ask these guys. I listen to those bands in the car all the time. But I can't play like that and I can't sing like that. I wish that I did. I don't. It's I don't feel like maligning other bands, you know. It's just like I love listening to that music. I just it's not what comes out of me.
4: Well, we love a lot of that music too. <laughs> I think what Greg yeah. meant is that there's a super seriousness. In a lot of indie rock today, mm-hmm. whereas you guys are not making any bones about it, I'm having fun. Well, self-conscious, <laughs> yeah. 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 They're very self-conscious.
8: For me, it's so much more fun to play this way yeah. than mm-hmm. to play, you know, quiet or congas or percussion or yeah. when music is like coursing through you. It it takes a certain life, and if you're going to express yourself, then it sort of comes out the way it comes out, and you sort of learn how you're trying to use your instrument to say what you're saying. I don't feel like I would be as communicative if I was playing really quietly, like four on the floor, like, Mm. you know, simple, uh, you know, how I hear it in my head is, is boisterous and aggressive and loud, you know, Mm. for the most part, some songs require different things and I try to always serve the song, but for the most part, I get very excited to play music and I think maybe that, that shows and that's just you know that's my that's my thing. Like I said,
5: self consciousness, and you guys are uninhibited. And I guess maybe you need to get to a certain stage in life or whatever to feel that way. But you know, you sort of you sort of are kind of ex- exposed up there. Yeah. You know, you look around the room when you guys are playing, and everybody's got this big smile on their face. They're just like really as much into it as you guys are because they're watching people enjoy themselves while and, they're doing. And
8: it. we make a choice to improvise on stage, which is which is a conscious choice, and it's not something that always makes you look pretty or makes you look. Uh, you know, well rehearsed or put together, sometimes it comes apart and it's frayed and raw and ragged. And I think that all of us together, maybe not one at a time, we would explore these kinds of emotions, but together we're like courageous to get up there and sort of explore these territories that, um, you know, we're, we're choosing that we're choosing to like go out on the ledge together and sort of expose ourselves. And I feel that people really connect with that.
4: I was really blown away by Racehorse which I think is is a new generations horses. Mm. Patty Smith like this is the new millennial horses. I think it'll be illustrative of how long distance, you know, you're on one coast, they're on the other. How did that song in particular come together?
7: That's an interesting one actually because it started when Mary and I got together in Washington DC and we had I had this this riff. And when we recorded it it was very subdued and in my I notated it in my head like that's our noise song yeah I was like it was our noise song like it's just so it's just this repetitive riff and but you know what I didn't have the vocals that was the biggest difference so mm. when then we got together in Portland and we were just kind of jamming on on that song and then I found the vocals and it was the first thing I said I'm a racehorse there was mm. Hmm. And I think Rebecca thought I was saying I'm a resource. <laughs> no, I'm not a resource, I'm a resource. And that's that's pretty rare, like that that like the whole song, you know, the whole essence of the song just appears instantly like that. It was very instantaneous. And there were there was months that we did not go back to that song because it was we couldn't figure out where to go with it. Mm. We thought like, oh we'll just we don't even we're not gonna record it, we're not gonna do any and then all of a sudden it was the beast that it was meant to be. When we recorded that song, it was totally improvised, and then I had to basically just do the vocals, just intuitively try mm. to remember what we had j- done musically, and it's really uncanny. I did it in, it's mostly one vocal take. I drank some whiskey and <laughs> wow. just went for it, And but it really is, it was very weird, like things really match up on the song, like my vocals and the drums, like things that we would not have been able to kind of put together, but... It definitely is. I do think it's a good embodiment of where we can just kind of come together as a band in a way that is surprising even to us.
4: Right. Well, you can't fake that. We've made it 20 minutes or so into this interview without once uh, mentioning that dreaded word, supergroup. Thank you. You know, <laughs> I knew there was something different. <laughs> well, I knew. To, uh, to this end, you, you and I did a show <laughs> once on, on supergroups, how they almost <laughs> invariably, yeah. almost without exception, suck. <laughs> you know, they are not that thing that you said earlier, that it's it's more than the sum of its parts. It's, it, it somehow manages to be less. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. I think that if none of you had done anything before, we'd still love this band.
6: Thanks. Thanks. That's nice that's to That's like
4: hear. the nicest things anyone's I know. <laughs> and <laughs>
6: I knew there was something missing from this interview that was good. And I think <laughs> that we hadn't talked about
4: this. Yeah, yet. but I'm talking about how we haven't talked yeah, about right. it.
6: No, that's what I'm saying. I was like, there's something that... Feels it's better a, about this interview. So, yeah, so much better.
5: <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, that we hadn't talked about. Um, we could talk forever, but we'd love to hear another song.
8: Do we do? Uh, let's do short version. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good. <laughs>
5: short version from Wild Flag on Sound Opinions. You are listening to Sound Opinions and we're here in the studio with uh, Wild Flag. You know, I look back at the resumes here of, of everyone in the room and we've got quite a bit of experience in, in, in music, none of it, which was spent staying in four-star hotels, at least on uh, record label budgets. So you've been doing it this long. What Sustains you,
6: I feel like when you 've been doing it for this long, there actually aren
8: 't easier ways to yeah i mean i 've been teaching so that 's that 's great, but um it 's really a love of doing it. Yeah. We all come from a different perspective in a certain way, mm-hmm. um, but we meet at this common ground i mean i can 't really imagine myself doing anything else you know that 's not the case for all of us, but for me, this okay. is absolutely the way that I find my space in the world and that I feel worthy and worthwhile and like, uh, there's a reason I'm here. And all those, like, really big, huge things you search for your whole life. I feel like I found those things in music. So it would be, my life would be a lot uh, less fulfilled, I think, if I didn't play.
4: Sleader, Kenny came to that point, right? The touring was a grind. Yeah. And the band ended.
8: Touring is a grind.
4: Not your favorite <laughs> part of it.
7: No, I love playing shows, but if I could transport myself to my bed every night, I would be very happy.
4: Mm-hmm. You know, when are they going to come up with that Star Trek thing? I don't thing know. You just zap <laughs> back home and then go out there?
7: Because the show, there's, I mean, the show obliterates all the other feelings. It obliterates my feelings about the crappy hotels and the drives, but then the show ends and you remember that you have to get back and drive again, and then the show obliterates it. It's just this cycle, and yeah. hopefully mm-hmm. the shows are great every night and suddenly you're home again. Mm.
5: So, so Rebecca, an 18-year-old woman comes up to you and says, "I want to have a career like you have. I want to. I want to be. I want to play music for 20 years." What would you say to her?
0: I'd actually tell her not to waste time getting bogged down about. Recently, spent a couple of years getting really concerned about money and health insurance, and I had a full-time job, and a mortgage, and a great neighborhood, and all the things I was supposed to want, and I wanted to claw my eyes out. <laughs> At the end of mm-hmm. every day, I was so unhappy and. I realized it's because I, I didn't even have time to play my piano pr- for myself, like never mind get anything going with anyone else. So I would advise her not to get too hung up on those things that you think you should be getting hung up about.
8: Remember what you told me once about someone asked about playing music, something about you better love it, your friend oh, yeah. advice <laughs> That's from your right, my friend? My friend
0: John Hill. This is, I got this advice the first show I ever played. Um, John Hill, who's a guitarist in Apples and Stereo, I was like, that was so fun. I think we made like $120 <laughs> of playing this bar in Denver. And I was like, whoa, this is amazing. I could do this every night. And I was having so much fun. He was like, you better want to do this because gonna, it's going to sacrifice so much you have no idea. So make sure this is the one thing you really want to do or don't mm. even bother doing it.
5: We are happy to have Rebecca Cole, Mary Timoney, Janet Weiss, and Carrie Brownstein as our guests. Wild Flag, thanks so much for coming in.
6: Thank you. Thanks for having
9: us. Thank you.
4: Don't forget you can listen to Wild Flag's performance again and check out video of them in the studio at soundopinions.org. We also would like to invite you to share your comments on the air. What makes a supergroup work? And what talents of indie rock would you like to see come together? Call 888-859-1800. After a quick break on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, we return with our review of Metallica and Lou Reed and my Desert Island Jukebox pick.
3: of the voices that gather up the magnets set before me I attract you and repel you a science of the heart and blood and meaning
5: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim Dirigatis, and that's a little bit of the new Lou Reed Metallica collaboration, an album called Lulu. That's a track called The View. An unlikely collaboration, to say the least. We were talking about Lou Reed, the godfather of punk rock music, the founder of the Velvet Underground, and thrash metal pioneers, Metallica, working together. In 2009, they got together on stage for a one off collaboration playing one of Reed's songs. Reed was smitten with Metallica. He says, Hey, guys, we've got to work together sometime. What are we going to do exactly was the, was the big question. Now, Reed began working with playwright Robert Wilson on an interpretation of a couple of plays written by a German expressionist writer, Frank Wiedkind from the late 19th, early 20th century about the horrible short life of this abused dancer named Lulu. Now, Reed was originally writing music for Wilson. He says to Metallica, Hey, why don't we flesh these songs out, put some heaviness to them. Let's see what turns out. They spent 10 days in the studio apparently improvising a lot of music around these lyrics that Lou Reed had written. The end result is the album Lulu. We're going to review Lulu in a second, but let's play a track from it first. It's called Ice Honey from Lou Reed and Metallica on Sound Opinions.
3: You can't put a butterfly in a jar that it's your mind No matter who you are Or the sun or the stars It doesn't matter who you are Eyes honey Eyes honey Now me, I've tried a million tricks To make life hold and make it stick Not running heat That flames then I the proud piece of ice That always floats Eyes punish honey Eyes If I can't trap a butterfly or a bee If I can't keep my heart where I want it to be If no matter how much soul and heart I put to the wood If a flaming heart is not that good If you can't put a butterfly in a jar If violence marks your final hour If you make others feel like jam Hold on a piece of
4: That was Iced Honey from Lou Reed and Metallica's new album, Lulu, on Sound Opinions. And as hard as it may be to believe, we played you the two most listenable tracks on this album. Greg, let me disagree with what you said up top. It's hard to imagine a collaboration between Metallica and Lou Reed. I couldn't disagree more. You know, Lou Reed in mid-career turned to two great guitarists from Detroit, Steve Hunter and Dick Wagner and made Rock and Roll Animal and went heavy metal. It's not out of his canon. The problem is Lou Reed hasn't been Lou Reed for about 20 years. He's been resting on his laurels standing behind a lectern reading his lyrics. Never a great singer but he wasn't a great singer the way that Bob Dylan wasn't a great singer. He had a wonderful voice and he was a fabulous lyricist. He stopped caring about singing at all. He just sort of talks his way through songs and the lyrics have been falling off but worst of all Metallica has no understanding whatsoever of what made Reed great Reed has redefined rock and roll in the heavy metal guys in the punk rock guys with the Velvet Underground as noise rock there are a dozen fabulous guitar sounds in reed's canon of 30 years of great music and metallica is alien to all of them metallica here sounds like those show-offs sitting around at a guitar store on a monday afternoon playing stairway to heaven lars ulrich has become the worst drummer in rock and roll this album is painful it makes your ears bleed and not in a good metal machine music way this is such a disappointment it is a trash it record Well, as
5: unlikely collaborators go, Jim, I still think that it's a stretch for Reed to lean on Metallica. I would have thought that he would have gone to somebody a little bit more contemporary, less mainstream, but clearly Lou is in the desperation phase of his career. (laughs) He doesn't really know what he wants, and I think Metallica is similarly fishing around for new ideas and not really sure what it wants to be again. They dashed off these songs. They talked about the fact that we were in the studio, and it was just common man. We, we didn't have any kind of game plan. We just improvised. Well, it sounds like it. These sound like very raw demos, and normally I would that idea would appeal to me, but they never turn these into actual songs. To me, the tempos are just dirge-like, unrelenting, very slow moving. The backing vocals by James Hetfield are laughable. <laughs> it seemed like he didn't quite know what to make of Reed's lyrics, which are, you know, w- we're talking about very vile subject matter here.
3: What do you
5: This is a big raised middle digit to all their fan bases I think it's basically like saying we don't care what you think we don't care if you like us anymore we're going to put this out because we're Lou Reed and we're Metallica and we can do whatever we want and you know what I say I don't care trash it I tell you little buddy this whole island is bewitched
10: remember we were shipwrecked together
5: as often as possible we like to charter a boat to our own desert island and play a
4: track we cannot live without and this week it is Jim Dere turn well Greg I want to underscore you know that I edited a book about Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground you contributed mm. to it we love this guy, okay? And I didn't want to be be just so harsh on him with just that review of Lulu, although it is the worst album of his career. I wanted to talk about what was good about Lou Reed a little bit. And one of the things that was good is this guy has an encyclopedic knowledge of early rock and roll history. And the way that he took that somewhere new, many places new, in his career is always one of his strengths. Rolling Stone has this silly little feature, the playlist special, your favorite artists pick their favorite songs. And Lou just partook. He chose, in Desert Island Jukebox fashion, to talk about the Drifters' 1960 hit, Save the last dance for me. Now, it was co written by Doc Pomus, the great brill building songwriter in New York, who was a particular hero of Lou Reed. Magic and Loss, Reed's album in the early 90s, was about Pomus's death and coming to grips with death via the loss of his good friend. I never knew this about this song, and I don't think you knew it either. Doc Pomus was just succumbing to polio when he wrote this song. He was getting married. He is at his wedding. He's sitting in the wheelchair, no longer able to get out, and he's watching his wife dance with all of his friends, all the people in his life who he loves. And he begins writing on the placemat in front of him, you can dance, you can carry on. Save the Last Dance for Me. Doc's daughter was so moved by Reed's tributes to her father that she gave Reed that placemat later, and this is one of Lou's most treasured possessions. It was recorded by Benny King and the Drifters in 1960. It became a huge hit a couple of weeks at the top of the charts. It's an immortal tune, and I think that that story, and, and you know Lou Reed being able to provide that sort of insight, Lou, what's happened for the last 20 years? Why don't you write songs this good anymore? I know you can still do it. Here's the Drifters with Save the Last Dance for Me on Sound Opinions.
10: You can dance, every dance with the guy who gives you the eye let him hold you tight. You can smile, every smile for the man who held your hand, need the pale moonlight. But don't forget who's taking you home and in whose arms you're gonna be. So darling. Say the last dance for me Mm Mmm Oh I know know. That the music's fine Like sparkling wine Go and have your fun Laugh and sing But while we're apart Don't give your heart To anyone But don't forget Who's taking you home And in whose arms you're gonna be So darling if he asks, if you're all alone, can he take you home? You must tell him no, cause don't forget he's taking you home and in whose arms you're going to be. So die. save the last dance for me.
4: The Drifters with Save the Last Dance for Me, my Desert Island jukebox pick this week. The Sound Opinions Desert Island Jukebox is supported by Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark bourbon, it is what it isn't. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Jim, next week we're going to
5: pick our most disappointing albums of the year in our annual turkey shoot.
4: Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Wild Flag was recorded by Adam Yaffe with special assistance from Andrew Gill. Sound Opinions production team is Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, and Annie Minhoff. And our fearless leader, our executive producer, is Tori Lulu Malatia.
5: Sound opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hey guys, this is Julia from Philadelphia. I uh, love your show and I especially love your Halloween broadcast. Although I have to say this year I was uh, a little disappointed. I think the thing the show lacked for me this year was the kitschy aspect of Halloween. So in the spirit of Halloween kitschiness, I have a few suggestions for next year. How about Screaming Skull by the
3: Fleshtones? The devils in my car by the B fifty twos? Or my favorite, you should never have opened that door by the Ramones. Thanks, guys. Bye.
10: You don't know what I can do this act, you can
3: Hi, Greg and Jim. This is Dave in Greeley, Colorado. I have to say I was shocked to hear Jim dismissing the last 20 years of Tom Waits as if it were all just posing and fakery. There is some of that, but he's also creating some of the most profoundly beautiful songs in the history of popular music. And it's not just the writing. It is his voice. It is the ghostly piano. It is the unique instrumentation. I haven't heard the new album, but if, as you say, you love Swordfish trombones, how can you not love Rain Dogs or the best material on Bone Machine? Anyway, love the show, but you should love Tom Waits! Thanks, guys.
2: I'm going to do the same poser song that I've been doing for 30 years. Maybe I'll sing about being in a graveyard and eating beans from a can. Maybe me and Bob Dylan can have a fake
10: act fact
3: and make lousy music together. John Kutch, Crystal Lake, Illinois. I do not like Tom Waits. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Crash Crawford in Chicago. I'm calling to comment on your show about using the studio as a musical instrument with Brian Eno. Well, I'm a live sound engineer, and I totally understand what Mr. Eno is talking about because I use sound systems like a musical instrument all the time. And I don't see the the difference between technology that's used for music and the actual instruments themselves. And on that note, I would like to point out that some people, just like some people can't play trumpet or some people can't play piano, uh,
4: not everybody can do live sound, and not everybody can do studio. I've been doing live sound for ten years, and I hate spending time in the studio, and I know studio engineers that are terrified of live sound. Anyway, thanks for the dialogue on the issues,
3: Uh, important to those of us in the music industry. Really good stuff with Brian Eno. Thanks. Bye. Hi, my name is Carlos, and I'm calling from Chicago, Illinois. And I really appreciated the Brian Eno interview. I'm a massage therapist, and his music is really a joy to work to, especially music for airports and um, on land and the work that he did with LaRaji. Some ambient music just doesn't hit it. I mean, his does. It's not too light and fluffy. It has a certain what we call root chakra to it. That's that's what I look for. Thank you very much for having Brian Eno on. Again, he is someone I revere.
4: No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.